Hey, it's Eric Newcomer with Newcomer. We've got a great episode for you this week. I have two awesome guests to talk about the Apple Vision Pro and the future of augmented reality and virtual reality. We've got Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired, co-host of Wired's Have a Nice Future and Gadget Labs podcast. You can follow her writing on Wired.com. And she got her hands on the device, so she is a rare human at the moment. So she walked us through her experience with the Apple Vision Pro. And then also on the podcast, Anand Agarwala, the CEO of Spatial, a company that helps people build 3D worlds. He's been along for this journey of virtual reality devices and sort of has been in the waiting game of a real hit. And so he had a lot of smart perspective about the Apple Vision Pro. So we had a really fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy the episode. Thank you both so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be on your show. All right. Lauren, you actually have used the Apple Vision Pro. So we want to start with you. Like we're going to be sort of speculating and talking about it, but you have experienced the product. So yeah, what was it like? Can you walk us through the whole experience of trying it out? So I'm actually wearing the Gen 3 version right now. You just can't see it. (laughs) Oh yeah, you've got all this. They've shrunk it down. (laughs) Yeah, that much. Okay, so I think it's probably worth noting that when you first, you try the Vision Pro, there's a preamble, right? And this, I think, is going to be the experience for people when they eventually buy it. You're most likely going to have to go to an Apple store or some other kind of pop-up and get, you know, scanned for this device. Because when I first went into the super secret building that was, I later found out, was built specifically to, to give demos of this device, an Apple employee first scanned my face and my eyes and my ears. Um, yeah, the using- ears are the weird one. Yeah, the ears, I mean, you think that they're going to peer directly into your ears. It's not quite like that. They're measuring the space between them so they can map spatial audio to you. And then an Apple-employed optometrist measured my prescriptive lenses. I was wearing contact lenses that day, but I brought my glasses with me, anticipating that something was going to happen. And so by the time I got into my private demo room to put this thing on my face, it had been personally calibrated for optimal fit. An optimal, like, just vision, I guess. So then the Vision Pro is waiting for me on a coffee table. There are two Apple representatives there. They are not wearing the headset. Your heart's, like, fluttering at this moment? or you're, uh, <laughs> you, you, like, know you have, like, a limited window as a reporter, right? Do you get 30 minutes with it? Yeah. You know, it was about 30 minutes. I didn't get to record anything. Like, I couldn't record audio. I couldn't take notes. I couldn't, like, take a photo of myself. So I don't have actual, like, timestamps. And, you know, when you're in the reality distortion field, you're in this vortex (laughs) and you're like, what is time? But I think it was approximately 30 minutes. Yeah, and I put it on. And I think the first thing that struck me was actually how hefty it felt considering that they've offloaded the battery because there is that external battery pack. I fitted it. Like, there's the soft strap that goes over the top of the head, the soft strap that goes in the back of the head. I started to note as I looked at it how much of it seemed to borrow little design elements from other Apple products, like the soft Hmm. foam cushioning that frames your face looks a lot like the AirPods Max, and the strap that goes on the top of the head looks a lot like an Apple Watch strap. So we talked about that a little bit, and then the thing was on. And then I did like an eye calibration thing that was very Apple-y and pretty intuitive, and then it actually even sort of concluded with this like little approval click that sounds like... An Apple Watch click or an Apple Pay click or something. <laughs> this wouldn't be an Apple review without something like the click was really thought through. You yeah, know, yeah, really. the chime. It was really the best chime ever. <laughs> Do you want me to keep going or yeah, like yeah. I'm like I'm like I don't know. Start the device. Start the experience. <laughs> okay, okay. So <laughs> usually <laughs> Apple, we have to have the, un- stop the, the unboxing click. is just as exciting. Like <laughs> yeah, like usually at this point in a podcast, I pause because it, like the host wants to jump in and be like, okay, so get to the point. So yeah, so then I put it on, and I think that another thing worth noting is that this isn't exactly AR, and it's not exactly VR, and the company is positioning it as a spatial computing platform. Sorry, Anand is like shuddering right now. He's like, wait, what did you say, spatial? Spatial? (laughs) Wait, did they call it spatial? Are they naming it spatial? But uh, no, it's like a- For the listener, obviously, that is Anand's company name. Okay, anyway. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Google it. Google it. (laughs) (laughs) So then your face is fully enveloped. And I think Apple made a big point to say that you can see the world around you, but it's a little bit of mismarketing because while you can see the world around you, it is a video pass-through. It's not like there's any sort of trans 
transparency to the lenses or the glasses, like your face is in it. The reason why you can see the world around you is because there are so many cameras on the device that are recording and streaming to you, okay, like broadcasting yeah, I, to you. This the is world. fascinating to me. So does it mm-hmm. look like when I'm looking at like an iPhone camera to take a picture and it's sort of like that or what is sort of the vibe of the real world as seen through the cameras? It feels like a slightly fuzzier version of the real world. Like, you know, when you put on, I'm going to assume it on it. I know you have, but Eric, I'm going to assume you have used a Quest too. Yeah. And you uh, go through that. Anyway. But you have you used a Quest? Yes. We've got to make this happen. If yeah, Facebook PR uh, is listening to this right now, they're like shipping I'm one to you at this die moment. Hard. I know. You guys are the We have them uh, here. We'll bring one. I'll bring one over. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you when you put on the quest, there's a moment before you get fully immersed in virtual reality where you map your living room, you create these barriers around your living room or wherever you're standing in your real environment. So that it creates like these virtual walls so you don't bump into things once you can no longer see. And so you see in that moment this very grainy black and white, although newer versions have color pass through, but you see a very grainy black and white like image of your living room and then it draws the barriers. It's like that, but like a lot better and nicer in color. So I was seeing this, you know, very normcore Scandinavian Apple demo living room, but I was not seeing it like I would see through glasses. I was seeing it as I would see it as like a video broadcast to me. It's weird because I know you said it didn't feel like AR, but like, I mean, maybe I've just done too many of those past two demos, but that's usually after a few minutes, your brain kind of just be like, yeah, that's my living room now. Like, you know what I mean? You kind of adapt pretty quickly. Like in true AR devices, you're seeing the real optical. world, right? It's optical it, pass through, yeah. So it's like you're actually seeing, like you're actually your eye, like the photons are going the from the couch to your eye. Yeah, right. Exactly. But it's, it's like it's direct. like glasses, and then there's images on top of the glasses, right? But that are just blocking it. Whereas this is you're looking at a screen that is showing only screen, thing. Yeah. right? Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you explained that because I think. When I say it's not like real AR, I think that's what I mean is that it's not using any kind of waveguide technology that refracts light and it puts it into your eyeballs. Like it's not holographic. It's not volumetric. But it is AR if you think about the literal definition of AR as augmenting your reality. And so once you are like running computer applications into this space in front of you where you would typically be looking at your real world living room, but actually you're seeing apps and playing games and doing stuff like you are augmenting your reality, right? So it's like conceptually AR. And the responsiveness. Part of what's supposed to make this better than the status quo is just like how quick it is, right? And also high def, right? Can you get into like this sort of quality and how much that is or isn't a game changer in your view? Yeah, I think the optics were remarkably good. You are, when you first fire up, you know, the home screen, you're looking at just a, a, almost like a dock, a floating dock of Apple apps. I didn't see, there might've been third-party apps on like the next page. I don't actually recall. Once again, could not take notes. So (laughs) a lot of this I'm going off of memory, but I mostly saw Apple apps like Safari and messages and photos. And then once I opened some of them, the imagery did actually look remarkably crisp. So the optics... Yeah, I mean, they're pretty good. I think that the eye tracking and gesture control is a bit of a game changer here because typically when you're wearing a VR headset, you're using game controllers in order for your hands to be able to like navigate the world around you. There's so much compute power in this thing and so many cameras that Apple, like the device scans your hands. And after that initial scan, your hands are in the frame, your real life hands And you just use them by tapping your fingers together to manipulate and scroll through apps. It's worth saying, this is like the future. It's insane, right? You're going in an optometrist. Like, I feel like every sci-fi movie, this is like it. I'm not saying that means this is fully functional. It's going to change society. We're all going to use it. But like, this is like as living sci-fi as you can get where your hands are controlling things. We're like living the world through cameras. Like, they have like basically medical professionals examining you to make it work i don't i just want it's it's weird like it's amazing i don't know if that scanning stuff is that critical i mean like you know on an oculus like so one of the things they're doing is ipd checking so that that when you get it it just works but like you know quest has like those three settings and those get 80 percent of humans or 90 percent of humans so i think some of that stuff and like the spatial audio like if you just plopped it on to lauren's setting i think it would be fine you could take you know that physician part out of it but otherwise yes it is pretty trippy yeah. Yeah. And the other element of the gesture control is that the way you select apps, that's where the eye tracking comes in. Because 
There are the external facing cameras that see what your hands are doing. And then there are the internal cameras that see what your eyes are looking at. And there's almost no latency. I mean, if there's latency, it's milliseconds. And Apple has said like the threshold should be like 12 milliseconds or fewer. And when you look at an app, like when I looked at the in and Apple was like sort of guiding me and they were also holding an iPad off to the side where they could see what I was looking at. So it was a very controlled demo. They said like, look at the photos app. And I looked at the photos app and it just sort of was like emphasized in the row of apps. And then it's like, look to the next app and that app. So it just, it's just like the face computer knows where you are looking and then you click it with your hand to open it. And then there's an expand option in apps and you use your finger to like select the expand option. You can, you know, scroll through for the photos, open one up into panoramic mode. Yeah, everything you're doing because the voice control was not set up yet, was not ready. Everything you're doing is with your eyes or your hands. I think this is one of the most powerful things and most breakthrough things that they've done is if like your eyes are, I think, two orders of magnitude faster than your hands in terms of response rate and speed and everything. And this is the thing that I find like in the tea leaves of all the reviews I've read, MKBHD said it's magical. I think it's a hyper IO device, a hyper input output device, the speed at which you can kind of look at stuff and move like it feels like you're just, it's almost like mind control. And like that, it might be the greatest break through of it. And that's maybe why they're leaning towards the productivity applications. I think it's going to be like, you know, when you're on your phone and you're like, oh, I'll answer this email on my computer because I want to use my keyboard. It's going to be that same level of like, oh, I'll answer this on my Vision Pro. You know, it remains to be seen what you need to do all that kind of pointing and stuff for. And I've seen some demos too that are like, you just get used to looking at stuff and it lighting up like Lauren described, right? And when you look at icons, they light up. And then when you look at the real world, when you take it off, it's not going to do that. And you're going to be kind of like, (laughs) oh, you're going to want that super reality. It is a really interesting, but I think that like that eye tracking, aside from all the other stuff, I'm going to want that on my Mac, you know, without the headset, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that's a potential real breakthrough that's maybe hidden in here. And that fits with sort of like the launch of the iPhone where it came with this, you know, gesture control that was so perfect and human that it felt like, okay, this powers a new generation of devices. Now right. kids swipe your TV, right? Like, because mm-hmm. they're just used to it. And people have tried that on the desktop before. You might recall, I mean, many years ago, there was a startup called Leap Motion that was doing really interesting stuff around gesture control on PCs. And then there's another company called Toby that does eye tracking. And I think those were really cool technologies in search of applications. Like, maybe they would be good in games, or maybe they would be good even for, like, consumer surveys to figure out where people were looking on their machines and, like, what they were gravitating towards. But I think with Apple, like with anything with Apple, there's so much validation that comes with Apple entering a market and the technology is so good that all of a sudden you're like, oh, this could actually become mainstream in some other way. And your eyes are like the best indicator of your intent, right? Like even intent you're not even aware of where you're looking, you know what I mean? Think about the ramification to ads and, you know, it's just fast. I mean, it is really much closer. Your hands, your intent of your mind is like two degrees away in your hands, but it's like one degree away in your eyes. You know what I mean? Like it's much more automatic. Right. So then there's the other thing that I thought was pretty, I don't know if I would call it standout, but very different about this was the ability to dial back the opacity of the immersiveness. Like Hmm. you could see the living room and then run, you know, a little window of an application in front of you, or you could twist the dial and then just go almost full VR. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, to me, this seems like it's something that's geared towards app developers, because then an app developer has the option to say, I'm building a VR app or an AR app or something in between. What did you make of that as someone on the app developer side? It's interesting. You know, the Magic Leap shipped with a reality button and they had a similar intent. It didn't work out that well. Like, so you click the button and the idea is you go back to reality. So much more rudimentary. And the thing is, the switching time was so long that it like, because they thought you'd be wearing this thing all day and you want to be popping in and out of reality. So it's an interesting through line to this switch. I think like, it's cool. I, I think you need people to feel really grounded and be able to like, Someone just walked in the door and you need to say hello or, you know, your your puppy just jumped on your lap like you need that. I don't know if the dial, I mean, it will be nice. I'm sure it'll be nice and Apple-y. As an app, though, like you can either dim completely your experience down to reality or you can dim parts of it. And so like for us, like in spatial, like the avatars, like for you can example, you can imagine an experience where you dim just the environment, but the avatars are still there. You know what I mean? And so that like, I think developers could potentially use it in intriguing ways. Like, I'm watching, I could be in that spaceship, you know, you're watching The Mandalorian on that crazy spaceship that they showed. And hopefully my friends are 
with me and I dim the thing because other people are in the room too. And now I can see the friend still, I can still see the Mandalorian. I think like if you do selective dimming, I think it could be quite intriguing, but it's also like you definitely need that switch back and forth to reality to be really smooth because it is on your phone. To me, the big question here is like, is it enough of an AR device? Is it enough of a VR device or is it this weird like half and half? And I think like the dimmer sort of gets to that. You know what's interesting? They showed almost no VR mode at all. I can't even remember a single real-time 3D thing they showed, except for these immersive panoramas and like even watching the movies. Like Even the 3D dinosaur thing, which everyone thought they were going to do in 3D, was like a pseudo shallow depth tyrannosaurus right it wasn't like look behind you there's like a thing you know what i mean it's not a vr device as it was positioned i think like they didn't show a single game i experienced a little bit of that in the demo so when i pulled up i'm trying to remember which video clip it was there were a few video clips that were like set up in advance you know once again this is a very controlled demo i watched avatar 2 in 3d I watched this sizzle reel that Apple had put together of all of these incredible nature scenes. And then I watched the John Favreau-directed dinosaur clip. So at one point, Apple said, look to the left, and there were these pre-crafted environments that I could select with my eyes and hands. And one of them was called cinematic mode. So I was watching this, you know, this video content in front of me in the, you know, the living room that I was sitting in. And then when I chose cinematic mode, it actually made it a lot more immersive. Now, there were some edges there. There are these like weird kind of wavy or floaty edges. So it's not like I felt like I could look up at the sky or look behind me and just be like completely in the world. But it was like very, very close. It was up against the edge of full VR, I would say. But you're not walking around, right? Like it's kind of a, it's basically 360 video. I mean, not 360, 360 3D stereoscopic video. I mean, there's 28 million pixels, I think. It's speculated they don't have the processing power to actually render real-time 3D in a way that you can move around. Like, can you game on this device? Like, that that is a big question. I didn't do any. There were no gaming apps in the demo that I had. It was either, like, some FaceTime, some messaging, although I couldn't even message back with a person, some web browsing, and, like, video watching. There wasn't anything around gaming. And the video, like, one of the things that I've experienced in the AR headsets that I've tested, like, even, like, Snap Spectacles, and those are only available to developers and, like, they only last a half hour or so and they heat up really quickly. Like, But they do like pure waveguide AR and they also do spatial anchoring. So like you would draw this like artistic squiggly into the world in front of you and then it would be anchored there and you mm. could walk up to it. You could scale it up. You can walk around it. You can manipulate it with your hands. There were objects floating in space that you could just manipulate in this really cool way. And like I did not experience that in the Apple headset. On the gaming front, I mean, so one of the developer labs showed, apparently, I hadn't seen it yet, but one of them was saying Rec Room in 3D. And so that was like, I think, immersive. But it also raised the question, what's the control scheme for these games, right? If there's just hand tracking, like, uh, you know, PlayStation VR and Quest have joypads with multiple buttons so you can run. Like, we're just asking, how are they going to do, like, I get how you do shoot in Rec Room, but how do you do run? How do you do jump? How do you do duck? I mean, you could do those in real life, but it's going to get fatiguing real quick. So you need controls. You could imagine a gesture scheme where you do that. There were also, like, some of the games were actually in 2D mode. And, you know, when we were chatting, the guidance to developers is start with your iPad app, and then, you know, that's kind of the 2D frame. And there's even guidance on, like, okay, well, you can use your 2D iPad joystick with your fingers, which is kind of an awkward way to play. So is it a productivity device? Like, you think it's built, it's, it's like, really set up to, well, I guess to like do Zoom type things and then to watch movies? Or like what was sort of the one-two use case that they were sort of painting for you in this experience? I kind of felt like they threw everything at the wall with this, <laughs> frankly. The messaging was a little bit muddled around it. Even the demo video that they showed during the WWDC keynote showed like every example in the book, right? There's the person on the flight with it. There's the dad browsing memories. There's the woman who's doing work and then goes down to the fridge to get her sparkling water. It felt that way in the demo, too. It was like, here's a little bit of messaging. Here's a little bit of FaceTime. Here's some entertainment. Also, you and a a colleague can collaborate on this design thing. And that, to me, signals that they don't really have the killer app quite figured out yet. And actually, in one of the comparisons that I've been making in conversation with folks is that It very much reminds me of the iPad in that way. I think everyone's been saying, oh, but what about the iPhone? You know, if you're down on this right now, maybe you're a Luddite because, look, people were skeptical about the iPhone and look how that changed the world. I don't think that that's the apt comparison. I think much in the way that the iPad, it's mostly a home device. Some people are power users and might travel with it or some people might use it as their primary PC, but it is very much a consumption device. 
It sits at home. You give it to your kids sometimes. Occasionally you do work on it. It's a little bit more of an isolated experience, right? Like you're using it yourself for the most part. Sometimes it casts other content. I think like this could potentially, if it ends up being as successful as the iPad, then that will be a success for this product because it is, it is ultimately very hard, I think, to convince people to wear a face computer for an extended period of time. I think Anand and I were talking in sort of our prep call about like just like getting people to use these VR devices, right? They like use them a lot in the beginning and they fall off and nobody uses them anymore. And it's just like a phone is much easier to grab than a VR device. And so to me, I don't know, I, I feel like my view is much more like this is an all or nothing thing. Either they get it so that people really want it to put on it's magical. It feels like way ahead of everything else. And so then people are putting it on and then people get word from their friends like, no, I'm like in this thing. I'm doing X, Y, Z for a long period of time. Or like it's early adopters who try it, don't find a sustained use case. And it's not even to iPad level. Like I don't quite see this sort of middle yeah. case personally. I, think I can see both. I mean, I think the iPad thing, like you bring your iPad to the airplane because it's just way better there. Now, would you bring this to the airplane? You know, that's probably the number one place, right? I think that the, that Talk said about first class envy there, like a oh $3,500 yeah. device <laughs> in first class wearing these things like that oh. is going to be that'll be the symbol of like the oh. class divide in America. Well, of I will tell you, then the morning after the event, I got a text message from a CEO, not a big tech CEO, but more of like a lifestyle CEO who just wrote in all caps, I will not wear the goggles on a plane. <laughs> Dude, I thought that was interesting. That's the Wally moment, lying flat in first class with headset, <laughs> like being entertained and being right. fed. It's going right. to It's That's the future. It's not the scientific, you know, but I do agree. Like my number one learning after working in VR for seven years, day in, day out is like the transformative moment will be like when people actually shift to this device, it needs to be an all day wear device. Otherwise there's a switching cost and the switching cost is always going to be way higher than your phone, which is in your pocket. And it's so easy. We can't even switch to our watch because the phone is so good. And this is like on us the whole time, right? Like that is the key, I think. And that's why the thing I was most excited to hear from Lauren, you know, and folks who tried it is, can you use it like all day? Can you imagine doing that? And I'm hearing not so much like Joanna Stern's face was quite red after her demo and they said it was the fitting or whatever, but I just can't imagine. I mean, I can't wear ski goggles all day and they have no compute in them. So I think <laughs> you've got to go from goggles to glasses for this to be that kind of mainstream thing. And that's the path we're on. And this is like a huge injection of energy and Apple, you know, sex appeal. This is the Ferrari, the Tesla Roadster of that category, right? And there's an arms race now between two trillion dollar companies trying to win your face. And so that's great. That's great for the consumer. It's great for the developer. Lauren, how long do you think you could wear the device? I know you only got like maybe this 30 minutes um, with it, but did you feel like at the end you were fatigued or you felt like, no, I'm comfortable. I could keep going. You know, I thought I could keep going, actually. I have worn the MetaQuest 2 for, I don't know, maybe as long as an hour before. Some friends and I used to play Beat Saber together. We were all in different cities and we would, you know, put on our headsets and gossip and play Beat Saber and like be these little disembodied avatars floating in the metaverse. And that was fun. This setup was always really annoying, like especially if you hadn't used the MetaQuest 2 in a while and then you picked it up and put it on. There was almost inevitably some update to download. And then mm. you'd be like, wait, how do I navigate this thing with these right. dorky hand controllers again? I don't think I ever used it for more than an hour. And I, I always say that when I take something like that off, it feels like my forehead is breathing a sigh of relief. Right. I'm sure after an hour or so in the Apple headset, I'd feel the same way. I mean, maybe I would get so engrossed in a movie that I would want to keep wearing it for the full duration of a movie. But I could also picture at some point being like, you know what? I really just want to take this off and watch this on a big flat screen because... Maybe there's a little bit of depth here. Maybe there's a little bit of interactivity, like the dinosaur was interacting with me or the butterfly was interacting with me. But once you're over that novelty... You know what you reminded me of is like the first days of COVID when you'd spend eight hours a day on Zoom and how fatiguing it was. And when you're done, you're like, oh, like it's like, <laughs> that's kind of the same thing on 2D experience, but you can last eight hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I've done days where I've like spent, like when we've been pitching or whatever, talking to businesses like four hours, five hours in a hall ends, like it's exhausting for sure. You do lose yourself in it when you're in there, because especially if there's another human in there with you, because you're just kind of like, you know, talking, but it's tough. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you've spent four or five hours in a hollow lens. Did you get like a special award for that? That is like, really? my God. I wrote a story for Wired once that was just entirely about how long it took me to get set up for a meeting in HoloLens. Like it was yeah. so comically <laughs> bad that required meetings upon meetings to anyway. 
Kudos to you, Anand. I'm just curious, like when you mentioned this inevitability of shrinking the form factor, like Mm -hmm. you think that we're headed to glasses, I think that would be great because they would be a lot more lightweight. But I just think the physical batteries are still like there's only so much we can do around innovating lithium ion batteries, as long as that's what we are using. And silicon is being innovated on in such a way that it's become a lot more power efficient and that helps with battery life. But like we are up against like physical and chemical limitations with batteries. So as long as we have those, are we ever really going to get super lightweight, powerful glasses? Yeah, I think, okay, the wire, that is fair. And I think the interesting thing about this is that they say it's all day wear. They actually said that. And meaning I know, that, shameless. Or, or sorry, well, but and what they mean by that is, right. right, but but the Quest Pro, you actually can't run all day if it's plugged in because it draws right. too mm. much, but you know, like they, so yeah, they yeah, fix yeah. that. And the thing is, like this has. You're so saying in, Apple fixed that, right? Yeah, saying, it, right. Okay. The Vision Pro Th- there is, is able some to... fairness in the claim, given the Quest can't deliver all day, even plugged in. Quest right? Pro, I don't okay. know about the Quest, Quest Pro one or whatever, okay. but the thing is, they've externalized the battery in this case. So, can you imagine a pair of glasses? Enreal, Xreal now is a couple years old, and that's like glasses e. You know, you could imagine an Apple caliber device delivering something like that with external battery. And we're not going to solve the battery problem for a while, except for like mm-hmm. kind of Apple Watch scenarios where it's like episodically on during your day. But I can imagine a world where like that's maybe not too far away. Maybe it's, you know, like where, where you have a X-Real style chunkier glasses mm-hmm. with a wire. It's going to need a wire. You think people will just get used to carrying around the battery pack if the glasses make it worthwhile enough? Well, like no. then what's the world in which we're carrying around phones and we have a watch on our wrist and we've got this battery pack and we're wearing glasses like what's the benefit then to the glasses that you can't just do on your phone but you know what's crazy apple has made us all carry around headphones okay who carried around headphones before they're winning the pocket (laughs) who would have thought we'd be carrying around that and this the watch you know there's so much crap we're carrying for them if it delivers value these deliver airpods deliver a lot of value so that's the question the other thing i've learned is that the phone is so damn good and delivers so much value so quickly and it's just really hard to beat. So the bar is really high to replace it. Really high. I think that I feel like optimistic about some of the technology that Apple has just introduced, and especially considering it's the first version. I still feel very skeptical about the market, the category, the product as a category. I know you have to run around like a shaman who's seen the future. So your schedule is mm-hmm. very limited. So we will let you go soon. But like another writer wrote, Apple Vision isn't the future. Do you agree with something that straightforward or what's your prediction here? Yeah, that was Kate Nibbs' great piece for Wired. And I have to say, I give Kate a lot of respect because I think that a lot of the tech press is like dancing around the question <laughs> and maybe being a little bit nice because I think that you risk a lot less when you are optimistic and writing something positive about an Apple product because it's Apple and they Mm. typically deliver. Like you're gambling a little bit less when you take that position versus, hey, this is going to be a flop and this is not the future. And so I give a lot of respect to Kate for writing that. I think there's a real possibility this is a flop. I'm not saying I'm calling that right now. (laughs) I think I tend to think that it's going to find a niche market and that Apple will find a way because it is an operations company as much as a computer company to eke out margins on it or find that niche or find a way to make it valuable to I mean, some this subset of consumers. Device, the Vision but, Pro, they're going to sell so few of them that they're yes. always going to be able to claim that they don't have any. They could just sell like one a day at every store and just never have enough and never run out. You know, I mean, it's yeah. such a obviously niche product that I think I feel like the bar it has to step over is so so low. Yeah, but as a category, people have been talking about VR headsets for like literally decades at this point. And by the way, I would say that the people who have been prognosticating on this are predominantly men who have these like techno utopian visions of such things. And and like it hasn't come to Guilty. be yet. Now, like granted, <laughs> granted. <laughs> love well, you I didn't guys. know we'd be indicted so succinctly on this podcast. <laughs> but it's true. Also, I mean, I don't know. I, I are you a techno-utopian, Eric? You're a journalist, so maybe not. I'm optimistic about the metaverse. That'll be the second half. Once you go, we're going to go into full te- techno-utopian, and we're just going to be over here like, <laughs> get her out of here. here already. They don't know anything. Like, once you're not here to really shit on the idea, we're just going to go wild, you know? But uh... <laughs> and you know what? I will tune back in and listen to that later on, for sure. I want to hear what you have to say. I tend to think that this is something – I still think that there's been that vision of let's do face computing for a very long time, and there is a reason why – why the majority of the population has not opted to spend 
a lot of their time, hours of their time, wearing something that cuts off some of the most personal sensory organs of your body. Like, even with Apple owning our pocket, as Anand put it so well, when you're wearing the AirPods, that is augmented reality, but you can still see and smell and all that stuff. And actually, there's like even pass-through hearing. When you're using the iPhone, you're still in the real world, even though you're digitally connecting with all of your family and friends. Like, when you're using iPad, you're consuming entertainment, but you're in your bedroom and in your comfy bed and you're like... I just think like putting something on our faces for an extended period of time is a really big ask. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just to, you know, if you said the Tesla, when you saw the Tesla Roadster and you said, this is, this is not the future, I think that would be quite short-sighted. Like, of course, not everyone's going to drive a Tesla Roadster, but EVs, like it was the gateway drug to EVs, right? But EVs are solving such a huge societal problem, which is... How do we make this particular category of transportation sexy enough so that people are less reliable on internal combustible engine vehicles that are contributing in major ways to our climate problem? Well, I'm not sure what the Vision Pro solves. No, but right? I agree with, like, I agree with that, but people don't care about solving. I mean, like, just to be cynical, like, people don't really care about solving the problem. They care about convenience and luxury and, you know what I mean? Like, they also made, it wasn't a Prius. It was like... It was sexy, right? Like the other thing, just to respond to something you said earlier, <laughs> it looked like you're gonna bite my head off. Is that no, like no. I smile before I bite someone's yeah. head off? <laughs> it's like a shark. The <laughs> the like you know you mentioned like the is there any use case? Because it's like there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's living room. There's like you know how would you describe? I mean, just the bull case. Like because there is I'm skeptical too. But the, the you know the bull case is how would you describe how you use your iPhone? There's a lot of different stuff. You know, like if you're describing to an alien species, you know, like what would you say? Like I use it for social, I use it for email, I use it for browsing. It's true. It's the everything device. It is. So it is a general purpose. Like I think in some ways it's okay. Part of this is like as VR developers, we've never had this caliber of uh, device before to experiment with. So in some ways it's a development platform. Now, that's what I'm really curious about. Are they going to seed these devices like water, like Magic Leap and Quest did to stimulate development? Because they're really expensive right. and most devs won't be able to afford them. And they're taking a really big... And the economics won't necessarily work out too. This is something we talked about earlier. Is like the economics that work in VR today are on Quest. There are companies that have made tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and those have to charge $29.99 out of the gate as a one-time fee. Because why? Because you don't... You know, the retention is kind of low in these not, devices. Not enough users and engagement to do freemium and recurring payments. Exactly. The business models that venture capital prefers. Or 199 Like, when can you do a 199 app on a headset? Like, you need crazy volumes for that. So that is a bit out. That's a really great point. At this point, Anand, if you had limited resources and you had to develop for either the Quest 2 or 3 or this Apple Vision Pro, which would you choose? Well, the good news, well, we're doing both. And the good news is for most developers, it'll be relatively, like if you're doing a 3D volumetric app, like if, if you're a 3D developer, if you're doing a 3D volumetric app, like a, a rec room or a spatial or something, it's quite easy to, like we already support ARKit, you know, like our app already supports ARKit. So we already have both, you know. And so it'll be relatively easy for people to pick both. And as we talked about yesterday, I think these will converge a bit. Like I think probably Quest will have a high-end device and a low-end, and they're kind of, you know, like their Quest Pro and their Quest 3 or whatever. And Apple is already rumored to be shipping an everyday, you know, five, four, $500 device as well. So I think like it's pretty easy to support both. There's nothing that like aside from the eye tracking that like, you know, and that's pretty, I mean, Quest could, be, you know, definitely support that as well. So I think both the answers both because of Unity, it's not expensive to, to develop for both. Well, I look forward to trying Spatial on Apple Vision Pro. And I think you just made a really good plea here if like Jaws or Tim are listening that you guys should send a free kit to uh, Spatial <laughs> over there. <laughs> so, but I do have to run. Thank you so All much right. for having Thank me on the show. So this has been really fun. Yeah, yeah, enjoy, really awesome. enjoy the metaverse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we will. Bye. See you later. See ya. Great. That was so fun. I wanted to just like, is it enough VR or enough AR is the thing I keep coming back to. Like you've got me really worried that it can't play video games which just feels like such a key yeah early adopter use case for a product like that and would be classic apple history to like underestimate the value of video games it is very intriguing that they really didn't show any gaming use cases on that headset and it's an entertainment device and then secondly they did announce the game port kit. I don't know if you noticed that, but where you can easily, like they're allowing developers who've built PC games to much easier bring them to the Mac with direct translation of DirectX APIs um, right. using Wine kind of thing. So they are getting game friendly. They're trying friendly. to improve the Mac. They changed some settings so that you can move into like a gaming mode for a your Higher performance Mac gaming now. mode and yeah. stuff. So there is energy in Mac 
gaming for Mac for the first time in a long time. The funny thing is the iPhone is the biggest gaming platform in the world. Right. So it's like now, yeah, I mean, I think that it was probably a conscious choice. Maybe it's a positioning thing versus meta because meta is so hardcore in the games. Now the games is the one vertical that's proven games and then fitness, you know, to a much lesser degree. But those are the two verticals that have really t- shown to take off for VR. And, you know, part of it's, I don't know if they view it as a VR device as much, right? Can you you know, give a little bit of your history with AR, VR. I feel like we sort of jumped in understandably for the conversation about like, what's this device? Like, please tell us you've seen, you've been to the mountaintop, like come down with like the, (laughs) you know, tell us, but just like, so people have context in your sort of journey, sort of, I feel like true believer, but then also sort of exhausted by how long it takes (laughs) to like, oh man, I've got to do like more than just be a true, I don't know. Or how would you chart it out? That is a fantastic question. Yeah. So I've been working on 3D user interfaces for like 20 years. First company called Bumptop, 3D desktop user interface that used a physics engine back in 2004. It was my master's thesis. I was lucky enough to do a TED Talk on it, sold it to Google in 2010. And I was doing 3D interfaces on a 2D screen, fully 3D interfaces on a 2D screen, on 2D touchscreen. And then Spatial, so I was part of Android, actually, maybe it's worth giving the context. I was part of Android starting at in 2010 when it was under 100 people, the team, and version of Claire, Froyo, and then watching, and then, you know, all the way to Ice Cream Sandwich, which was like exponential growth. <laughs> These are all operating systems? <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, you don't know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know knew this stuff. It's, it's, they're letters of the alphabet, so it's like uh, E, Claire, F, Froyo, I, yeah, Ice Cream yeah, yeah. Sandwich. So just to give you a little, you know, thing. Yeah. And now they're just numbers, which is way more boring. Because back then the team would get Ice Cream Sandwiches when we finished the release nice. and stuff. But nice. anyway, that epic expansion of, of mobile... When I left Google, I was like, yo, that's going to, ha-. like, I tried the HoloLens. I felt like I was looking into literally a tunnel vision to the future and that there was a huge opportunity, software opportunity to get in there early. And that was in 2016 when I started Spatial with my co-founder, Jenna, because it was like, hey, building 3D software is hard. And there's very few people who have that skill set that can combine kind of the 3D graphic stuff you need, which you probably develop. Those, that skill set's typically found in gaming, but then also the UI and design expertise you need for like making stuff sensible to the you know common person. So we started and I anticipated like a lot of people that the headsets would have been ramped much closer to the mobile ramp, right? Like mobile ramped crazy quickly to get to like a billion devices, I think, right? I think it was like five years from like 1 million smartphones to 1 billion. Hmm. And so, you know, I think a lot, I mean, you know, VCs were investing too, like Facebook had just bought an Oculus. Oh, um, yeah, there was a ton of excitement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hollands totally, 2 was out, right, right. you know, like, or Hollands 1 was out. Like, there was, it was, it was the fast times. Well, that, I mean, that's XR. the challenge of any sort of, I mean, startup, you know, you want to time the startup early in the sort of wave up so that you're in the right position when things, but you don't want to be too early where it's like, oh, it didn't take off at the pace we wanted. And that's all. When we started in 2016, we thought 2019, 2020 for an Apple headset. And it was always, people make the joke, it was always two to three years out. And every year we kind of push out. I think the problems were physics hard to get it right. And, you know, I think Apple definitely wanted to launch glasses, not goggles. And, you know, it's just not really possible to the type of quality they wanted. So that's the challenge, you know, and I think it didn't accelerate as fast as folks. Some people will be like, I told you so, it's going to take five to 10 years. But, you know, the bulls were out there for sure and thought we could have gotten further faster. So that's but, the And bruising. so spatial moves to be more like you're also going to deal with flat screen, regular screen. Yeah, so we, I mean, right. so we are one of the few platforms that, so we started off on HoloLens. We basically went to bigger and bigger platforms. Started off on HoloLens, which was $3,000. So we've been there. This, this is, you know, this, this price point. And then COVID happened and then we support Quest 2. And so our usage grew like 50x because the market was so much bigger for Quest 2. And then we supported mobile and then we grew again and then we supported web and then we grew a ton, like 100x basically from where we Hmm. were before. And so now you can join Spatial. And the cool thing is you are a first class citizen on all these devices, whether you're on mobile, whether you're on web or whether you're on VR. And basically our usage is split across these platforms. And no no surprise, majority of our platform, 90% of our usage is web and mobile. And then, you know, sub 10%. It's for game developers to build like experiences, games for yeah. people to play around with on these different devices. So anyway, you're deep in, you've been on this journey. You've sort of like, okay, wow, we can actually get a lot of users on web. You think, so like, are you fatigued of being optimistic <laughs> or what's your like, having been through that sort of journey yeah. and lived through this and like hope for the future a lot? Like, where are you right now with Apple Vision Pro? It's, that's a great question. I think 
So it'll be seven years in October on the official journey of, you know, just an AR VR company. We gave up on waiting for the perfect headset about halfway through because every year it's like, this is the year it's going to come. It's going to come. <laughs> and like, it was just like, all right, screw this. We got to own our own destiny. We got to go where the users are. Right. We can have a door. We can have a foot in the future, but we've got to work for the now or startup. We have to live and survive. Right. And totally. so I'm still like, I think also after, I don't know how many hours I've logged in a headset at this point, I mean, probably a thousand plus, you know, like over, you know, five, six years or whatever. And watching the keynote on Monday was really inspiring, to be honest. It was like our whole team after it was done was cheering. Like we just sent this person it. to the moon. Like we almost, it felt like we were launching something. And there was a lot of our stuff that like, you know, we'd seen a lot of our stuff that we'd built in the lab. And because we'd kind of grown a little detached from it, not detached, but like, it's like, hey, the collaboration use case is going to be really tough to make work in this environment, at right. least in this kind of state of the market. But it's such a sexy device and I, we all can't wait to use it. You know, it's funny. We did an internal poll about 20 people answered. Who's going to buy one? Yes. No, maybe two people said yes. I think like, and then the rest were split between no and maybe. Wow. That's not very optimistic. If you're sort of a company that sort of plays in this, right? Well, the price is a factor. So if it's four or 500 bucks, then it's a different equation. Right. I mean, that's like a lot of money. We did the math, you know, like a MacBook's like, let's say three grand. We use it roughly let's say optimistically three years, you're roughly paying, if you used it five hours a day, a work day, you're paying about a buck an hour to use it, which is not bad. And you know a MacBook will solve your problem. Where this, you're definitely going to have a MacBook too. You know, you're not, you're going to need like yeah. a computer, right? I mean. Yeah. I mean, but I'm so energized and excited. Like VCs are reaching out and like all these people like press are reaching out. It's right. like, there's never been so much excitement. And I think like because of how mainstream Apple is like, my sister's reaching out and, you know, like, <laughs> I love this idea that your sister stopped talking to you and now it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, Apple, like I've got that brother of mine who's sort of always playing around with this stuff. No, but you know what I mean? Like the person, like the barista <laughs> right. knows about They're it, you interested. know what I mean? Versus yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, totally. like this is barista ready, you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, it's intriguing how mass market Apple is and how it can capture the imagination and that fanboy community, the fanatical Apple community can help get the product through you know, to the promised land, I think. I feel like a lot of the argument is like, okay, they have this device. This is the Pro. I mean, they expressly brand it as Pro. And then it's like, dot, dot, dot. They'll have the Air. Obviously, it'll be cheaper. But like, you know, my view has been that like the actual quality of the experience is like what's so key and been the barrier. And mm -hmm. that just like, you know, I, my TV is sharper than some of these VR devices or whatever. Like those things really matter. So the question is just like, will a degraded Air version of this be sort of a mass market device if it can't even deliver like the pro level experience which we're not even sure the pro level experience has the graphics processing and everything to do what people really want so are you optimistic about like an air version of this device yeah definitely man i'm optimistic about any apple device they're so good at <laughs> hardware i mean no i'd like i'm not like okay guilty as charged i'm an apple fanboy but yeah. they've got the goods they launched the iMac, the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod. They're so good at hardware. The yeah. MacBook, like the AirPods, each one of these is a multi-billion right. dollar industry on its own, right? But I think the other thing is about this strategy of going hyper high end. As the technology curve goes, you a lot of that stuff you'll be able to trickle down or you'll learn right. stuff about what you built on the high end that you can actually, turns out maybe you can get it in the four or 500. It's like Model 3, Model X. Right. I totally agree with the Tesla metaphor. And, you know, Apple's been doing that for a long time. And that, that makes total sense to me. And I think people fixating on the price. Look, I mean, it's it extremely expensive, but it it's, a niche, it's a niche sort of product at the moment. It's a suck. Like, Not everyone can afford a Ferrari, man. It sucks. I mean, right. it's, a, it's a bummer that technology has to be that way where the first gen is not accessible. But unfortunately, right. that's just how tech works. But, you know, computers used to cost $30,000. So it will get cheaper, you know. Right. And the beauty of it is at the end of the day, they want to be able to sell a device that they can make money on to everybody. And yeah. so yeah, that yeah, drives yeah. the prices down. And then, and that's just sort of how this And I think out. what I like about their strategic positioning is that like, we've seen the devices you can get for 500 bucks. We're not satisfied with those. And the, we don't think the public is satisfied with those. And so we need to like go to the next level. And yes, it's going to be incredibly expensive, but we hope we can convince the public with like that device that like, the, the 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 Vision Pro today is maybe what the Quest Six will be like, you know, at that Quest Six price point. You know what I mean? At that in that number of years, and so they're trying to do that today and see, okay, what use cases that enable. They're trying to really accelerate that path to the future. I wanted to pull up like Mark Zuckerberg's comments about 
the Vision Pro, like, and get Very you to intriguing. react. I mean, he, you know, Apple announced the headset. You know, I was really curious what they were going to ship. He hasn't played with it yet. And he says, this is Mark Zuckerberg. From what I've seen initially, I'd say the good news is that there's no kind of magical solutions that they have to any of the constraints on laws of physics that our teams haven't already explored and thought of. They went with a higher resolution display, and between that and all the technology they put in there to power it, it costs seven times more and requires so much energy that now you need a battery and a wire attached to it to use it. They made that design trade off, and it might make sense for the cases that they're going for. And basically he's saying, you know, we want to make things for everybody. You know, we have different philosophies. They sell sort of elite stuff and like we feel good about this. I mean, do you think this is good for Facebook in that it validates the category or is it bad for Facebook in that it's a potentially better product that eats its lunch? I think it's good for Facebook. The market at some point of maturity would need all the, like all the big tech companies to get involved, right? Like if you're just the one company doing it, that means it's probably not a big enough market, right? And so I think that like it absolutely validates it. People get it now, I think, especially that like now that there's $2 trillion companies, I think there's a lot less people you have to answer to in terms of like Wall Street and stuff. It's like, okay, now it's a competitive thing. Now we can't right. lose. I think like the positioning is interesting, you know, about the like lower price point thing. You know, I think the social stuff, like I get that he's like, hey, this is not the kind of device I want to have, but like there will be social on. Right. And I sort of trust Apple more to get like the human to human things than, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg's company necessarily, but he can tell himself whatever he wants. I mean, yeah, Apple's great at like, I don't know, the human if, <laughs> feeling like human company. Like this was built for a person. They understand, you know, like I, I feel like they get that. So I, I don't quite see uh, what Zuck's saying on that point, but certainly the pricing and the accessibility and sort of their strategic differences. I think, yeah, I mean, this is, I think this is great. I mean, I think also I heard on, was it, I think the Stratechery podcast that like Mark loves playing strategy games and he hates to lose. He's very competitive. And so right. this will be very intriguing. This kind of will double down his resolve, you know, to really, you know, amp up even more. Actually, it wasn't, it was, that was Ronnie saying that. Ronnie Abovitz, the co-founder of Magic Leap, because he, you know, he's, he's met both Tim and, and Mark. It, it's it's going to be really exciting. I mean, it now, it valid. the thing though is that like on the cost, the Pro, Quest Pro is very expensive. And so like, I don't know. Um, How much is it? A thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. So that's definitely not an every person's device, right? But maybe, I mean, it is great that they are providing something at a more accessible price point, although now it's went up in price. They're not subsidizing it as much. It used to be $299, which was incredibly cheap. And, you know, they've done the kind of sensitivity studies where, like, what price do we have to get it where it's like, right. you know, it's intriguing. I, You know, there was a period, I think it was during the pandemic, where it felt like the metaverse was going to be here tomorrow and, like, we had that whole discussion. It can become a semantic argument, and I'm guilty of sort of the semantic games where it's like, you know, Fortnite, you are a perpetual character and you can go to a concert and that feels metaverse-like. Can we expand that out? But I just wanted to take stock, you know, now that the metaverse hype sort of died, but now we're sort of like back in this sort of like world again with this device. Like, how do you see this, the metaverse conversation they had and what's your view on what, I what's think coming? To be a little cheesy paraphrase, the metaverse is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, right? Like, <laughs> I think we live in a 2D metaverse. The average American spends 10 hours a day on a screen. I think roughly four of those on a phone, four of those on a laptop, and then two of those on a TV. So, like, that is a lot of 2D time. Now, and what I mean by that is we live in a 2D digital, we, we spend t a majority of our day in t digital experiences already. Right. And they're 2D. And your future computer will be a headset. It's really kind of a matter of time. And so when the th device is 3D by nature, those experiences all become 3D by nature. And so Netflix will now be, I look on my couch and I'm watching, I see my friends with me and we're watching the game together, you know, or... or um, the, the listener is going to be shouting right now. You sort of did a dot, dot, dot on the... The future is going to be a headset, right? I there are I see obviously that why that could seem intuitive, but there to some I think there's a perfectly Fair. reasonable thing that like if you believe in AR, especially if you believe like oh man, continued access to the real world is like a valuable thing of this device. It's like whoa, let me tell you, what's a better version of AR? Like everything else besides your screen is still the real thing. You know what I mean? It's like in some ways like a screen is a great solution to AR because it doesn't block you off from the rest of the world. And the part that you want to be a screen is there. 
You know, like, okay, I remember when I was a kid and like I'd watch like futuristic visions of the future and they'd be like, I remember like reading, I think, Popular Science or something like that. And they'd show like, you're going to have, your wallpapers are going to be TV screens and you're going to be <laughs> like, you're right. going to have like, your menus will be, you know, TV screens and stuff. And right. you're like, there's no way, like this was back in the CRT era where the freaking TVs were massive and stuff, right. Right? like the big Zenith boxes. I'm not that old, but like, you know what I mean? They were chunky. Right. And now like restaurants give you an iPad for a menu sometimes right. or, or like there's TVs just plastered everywhere. Right. So the digital world is kind of like eating you know, like the metaverse is eating, you know, like software right. eats everything like the, right. you know, the hardware, you know, is kind of eating the world too in that sense. Right. So I hear you, I, I shouldn't have said goggles are the future, like, but I do think glasses, like if you think about it, okay, here's the question. If you could have a pair of glasses that can be the exact same or maybe slightly bigger than your current laptop to your eye or your phone, you look down your hand, you see the phone and it's just as cheap and light and it's always on. Would you wear that? Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a believer. So then clear, it's like, when does that happen? Sense. When does that like, happen? Right? Why don't you... You want your screen on demand if you can project things out. Like, if, it, if it's lightweight. I mean, the problem... You know, there are these physics questions, as Mark Zuckerberg alluded to, as, like, Apple's clearly run into. You know, their device uses cameras. It is not sort of optical. So there are these, like, intractable physics problems that have been a real barrier. Those are hard for glasses. Yep. Those are hard. I mean, we'll, I, th I think we'll get there. I don't know. It feels like inevitable. I mean, it's just a question of when, right? Is right. it like five years, 10 years? I mean, the contact lens stuff is kind of crazy too. If you've seen, you talk to people. Well, just the, there's a company, I forget what it's called now, but they've got like a really compelling contact lens display where you can actually get, I think it's like maybe 512 by 512 pixels or something. I mean, I'm just thinking like, I was listening to some podcasts and they're talking about emulating uh, from the founder of Naughty Dog, Jason Rubin. Hmm. He, it was Boz's Boz the Future podcast, the, you know, the, Interesting. the uh, CTO he, of Facebook. Yeah. So he was just, he was just on early this week and he said that like he played, he's the founder of Crash Bandicoot, Naughty Dog. And he said he plays PlayStation on emulation and their resolution was like 512 by 384 or something crazy. So like hmm. we have 4K now in your hand. And so just looking at the arc of tech, like right. it's kind of insane, you know, like the stuff we had when we were kids, like literally dot matrix printers right. and you know what I mean? And things are exponentially getting faster in terms of innovation, right? So like ChatGPT got to 100 million users in months. So things are exponentially and they do kind of compound. So I wouldn't bet against there not being glasses you know, in 10 years, maybe 20, 20 for sure. I think 20 is a for sure. 20. I, I mean, it's the classic thing where what we're bad. What are the Vegas odds? What are the Vegas? Yeah, I know. I'd love to see that. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Super exciting. We all yeah. we're going to have to have the experience for ourselves. That's our episode. Thanks so much to Lauren Good and Anand Agarwala for coming on the show. I'm Eric Newcomer. This has been the Newcomer Podcast. Shout out to Tommy Heron, our audio editor, Riley Kinsella, my chief of staff, Young Chomsky for the wonderful theme music. Subscribe at newcomer.co. We really appreciate our paying subscribers. And like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. And please review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much and see you next week. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.